We're in Matthew chapter 14. And Bobby, it's, it's nice to have the virtual connection, but it's not like being here, is it? Especially the, the singing part, I think, is especially unique. There's a sense in which we, I think we could say we have something more than even what those that we find in our text here, uh, the gathering around Jesus, the 5,000 and so forth. We might think, well, it would be better to have actually been there. But I don't personally think it would have been better to have been there. Most of those who were gathered there didn't really follow Jesus. They didn't really hear. And we have His Word. This is His Word. And He speaks today. The Holy Spirit speaks today. You remember in Hebrews, there was a, um, the writer says, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes the Old Testament. He didn't say as the Holy Spirit said, but as the Holy Spirit says. And so anytime we're reading God's Word, um, the Holy Spirit is speaking through this Word. It's, it's God's Word. And so may the Lord bless us today as we spend time together in it. I'll begin reading in verse 13, Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus heard it, He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it of his departure, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. But it was evening. His disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, desolate, isolated place. It wasn't a desert. As as we read uh, later, they sat in the it was there was green grass on the hillside. And John brings this out as well. This is a deserted place, uninhabited, exactly where they were there. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5000 men besides women and children. So why did Jesus depart from the populated, busy northwest side of the Sea of Galilee to go over to the less populated, isolated, sort of deserted region on the northeast side? Bethsaida was the nearest town. It was the region of Bethsaida. Why did he go there? Why did he make this transition? Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard it, he heard something, and he decided to make 
this journey by boat to the other side. Well, as we suggested last week, it very possible, very possibly part at least of the reason for his going was the grief that he experienced when he heard about John's death. And so when he heard it could be that he heard of John's death, but coupled with that was Herod's interest in him. And so likely the more significant reason why Jesus went to the more isolated region was he was avoiding Herod. He was going to a place where he wouldn't be the center of attention in a populated region because Herod's interest had peaked in him. He, as one of the gospel writers says, he wanted to see him. But his time, Jesus' time was not yet come to be offered up. And he didn't trust that fox. You remember he called him that on one occasion. Uh, and he said, go tell that fox. I do this today and tomorrow and then I will be delivered up. And so uh, Jesus wasn't afraid to be delivered up. That's why he came to this earth. Uh, he came to be delivered up. But he would not permit him to see him until his trial the week of his crucifixion, which we noted last week. And then there's another reason why Jesus departed to the other, to the, this isolated, less populated place of Galilee. We learned that from Mark and Luke, that the disciples had returned from an evangelistic campaign and Jesus said they needed rest and likely he did as well. And so that was one of the reasons for departing. And so he was joined by them for what was intended to be a brief time of R&R and instruction. But that didn't last very long. Jesus' fame had spread. And somehow knowing where he was going, and you can read all of the accounts that are given in the Gospels and put some thoughts together here, but, but somehow they knew where he was going. They saw the boat leave. They, the, the, the Sea of Galilee wasn't all that big, really. And they could see the direction that it was going. And so thousands followed on, on foot along the north shore of Galilee to the wilderness area to where Jesus was heading near Bethsaida. The crowds grew as the day wore on. There were those who raced ahead and even arrived before Jesus had docked on the other side. One of the gospel accounts tells us that they were there already, but not all of them. And so uh, there were feeble ones. There were sick ones who couldn't journey as fast. But eventually, as the day wore on, the crowds increased and eventually there was an interruption in the rest that the Savior had intended, as Jesus saw the multitudes, he seized the opportunity to minister and make himself known. And that's what Jesus did. He rarely isolated himself for very long. He did at times, teaching us that it is proper to isolate ourselves. We do need rest. But he didn't stay very long in those isolated places. But he also had the intention of teaching his disciples And he does so in a most powerful and vivid way as he's preparing them for their future ministry. He wasn't going to be here very much longer. It was about a year from this point to the time of his crucifixion and very briefly after that, his ascension and then the activity of the disciples in this world without him present. And so he's he's preparing them for that time. 
Now, all four Gospels give an account of this extraordinary event in the life of Jesus. Primarily, we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000. That's significant. Because as I understand it, there is no other miracle that is recorded in every single Gospel other than the resurrection. So there is something significant about this feeding of the 5,000. And each of the Gospel writers present it from maybe a a little different point of view. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more in concert with one another. John takes a little different point of emphasis as he records this event. Matthew's purpose is to demonstrate both the compassion and the provision of Jesus, hence the title of the message, Jesus, Compassion, and Provision. Jesus is revealing the heart of God. And Jesus is revealing the power of God. Jesus is able to use what little we may have. And I hope you'll get this thought by the end of the message, because it will help you. But he is able to use what little we may have to accomplish his will in ministry to others through us. And that's not a light point. John says that Jesus was testing his disciples, and so their faith was growing. And by the way, this is exactly what's happening in your life and mine if you're a believer. Your faith is growing, and everything that God is doing in your life is a progressing of your faith, just like it was in the lives of these followers in the first century. Another point that you need to keep in mind is that all of Jesus' miracles were revelatory. What do we mean by that? We mean that Jesus was revealing something. He didn't do what he did just to be doing it. He was saying something. And they are referred to as signs. And that word sign means revelation. There's something. There's truth being revealed. There's something about himself that's being revealed. His purpose is being revealed. They were not merely acts of power to wow the masses or to attract a crowd, but rather to inform them and us as we read the record of these miracles of who he is and the life of dependence upon him that is to characterize life for all who are in his kingdom. So we're considering an extraordinary miracle here in this text, five loaves. And two fishes feeding a crowd of 5,000 plus. Some people have estimated that maybe 25,000 people gathered on the hillside that day. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that or say that that's necessary. He says 5,000 beside women and children. It doesn't mean that every man brought his wife. It's likely that they didn't do according to my thinking, but there were women and children that accompanied accompanied at least some of those 5,000 men. But there were a lot of people gathered, more than 5,000 that were gathered, maybe 15, maybe 20,000. There were a lot. So why was Jesus doing what he did? Why was he healing? And why did he choose to engage his disciples as he did? And why are the details given to us as they're given 
to us. These are the thoughts that you need to be questions you need to be asking as you read God's word. It's the questions I've asked as I've studied in preparation for the message today. One thing I would say is that we are not to conclude that this is the ordinary or expected way for us to provide for hungry crowds or for healing. In other words, it's not faithless to plan ahead. It's not faithless to stock up or to provide or to grow gardens or to have a grocery store or to et cetera, et cetera. We aren't to read this account and say, this is the way we ought to be living. We ought to just take a little bit, bless it, break it, and it multiply in some sort of miraculous way. That is not the ordinary way that God intends for us to live, nor is healing as you see here, the ordinary way in which God has called us to live. In other words, there's nothing wrong with being healthy. There's nothing wrong with seeking medical care. So don't read this and think that this is the way we ought to be living. That's not why it's recorded. That's not why Jesus is doing what he's doing here. Jesus is demonstrating that he truly is God manifest in the flesh. And he's demonstrating that his purpose does not end with miraculous provision of temporal needs, but that which is eternal. So everything that God, that Christ is doing as the God-man upon earth, everything he's doing is manifesting who he is, and there is a spiritual eternal reality that's being portrayed through these activities. That is more important even than the material, physical Reality. Now, what he did was physically real. What he did was materially real. But you'll notice in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, when these crowds uh, continued to follow him, remember, they wanted to make him king. They were misunderstanding his purpose. And Jesus answered them and said when they were chasing after him, when he went back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, most assuredly, verses 26 and 27, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. Now, you were fed. You saw what I did, and it was real. But you didn't see the signs. In other words, you didn't, you didn't understand what was being spoken, what was being said through what I did. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You benefited in a temporal way, which was a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But you didn't see beyond that. Verse 27. And so he exhorts them, do not labor for the food which perishes. It's not enough to have food banks. It's not enough to... Make all of these provisions for the temporal needs of people as good as those things are. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. And that's what was being demonstrated. This is the Messiah. This is the one that has come from heaven. This is the one that God has sent into the world to be the Savior of the world. And this has been recorded for us. And we believe the record that God has given to us of His Son. 
But Matthew's purpose is not exactly the same as John's purpose. And I'll mention something about this a little later on perhaps. But Matthew's purpose is to exalt Jesus who in the context of human need and weakness makes Himself known as compassionate and makes Himself known as the sufficient One. In fact, He is more than sufficient to provide for us. And so in verse 14, when Jesus went out, He saw a great multitude and He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He saw a great multitude, thousands coming to where He was seeking solitude. These were people in need. And He saw their need. There were evidences of their need, but He could even see more deeply. He was seeing the true needs of the people, but He also saw that there was a need that would develop in that very moment, which was a need of hunger. Not only the sicknesses, but the hunger that would develop in that very day. Which is why in John's Gospel, he actually said to Philip, what do we have to feed? How how are we going to feed these people? He had inserted that thought into the minds of the apostles before the time came, the evening of the day came. And Mark tells us that Jesus saw them to be like sheep not having a shepherd. When he saw them. He didn't just see people. He didn't just see masses. He saw them as needy souls with temporal and eternal needs. And he was affected. And by the way, as God, we could argue that he saw all the souls in all of the world. But it was when he saw these souls, when he laid his eyes upon these souls, that he was moved, that he was affected. And I thought about this even as I applied this to my own mind and heart and Hopefully you will as well. That the needs of this world, seven, eight billion people upon this planet, are overwhelming when you try to visualize the needs that exist. But it was when Jesus saw these individuals that He was moved. And I think that's significant for us. When we see He was touched in the innermost part of His being with sympathy and pity to show Mercy. And so, Matthew says, he healed their sick. Mark and Luke tells us that he instructed them. So more was being done than simply ministering to their physical need, but he didn't ignore their physical, temporal need, as we'll see in the feeding of, of, the, of them, of the hungry. His compassion toward them was not qualified by their worthiness but by their need. When he saw them, he didn't evaluate their moral condition and based upon their moral condition decide how he would help. He was moved. In fact, some of these may have become true disciples, but most of them didn't. Nevertheless, Jesus showed benevolent goodness to them because of who He is. You remember, this is not the first time that the compassion of Jesus is 
has been mentioned, nor is it the last time. But back in chapter 9, verse 36, that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Jesus reveals the heart of God, doesn't he? In Psalm 145, verses 89, the Lord Jehovah is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. In Psalm 86, the same thing is said. He is a Lord who is full of compassion. And this is who Jesus is. He is that Lord. Come in the flesh and He's manifesting the very heart of God, the compassion of God toward those who are in need. And surely, the Spirit of Christ in us stirs us with compassion as we see needs surrounding us. Compassion for the sick and needy, which is not restricted to the household of faith. You remember, Jesus taught that when He gave the Parable of the Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. He was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And the answer is given in verse 33. But a Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And what did the scribe, the lawyer say? He who showed mercy on him, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And that's exactly what we who are the followers of Christ are to be doing, showing compassion because of the spirit of Christ in us. We have the capacity not only to show compassion to those who are of the household of faith, we have the capacity to show compassion toward anyone that we see who has need. And we should to pray for them. Even our enemies, to be benevolent toward them, to minister to them, manifesting the life and the love of Christ that is in us. Do you see people with the mind of Christ? Are you moved with compassion when you see people in need? Jesus was. Certainly, He is demonstrating to us as His followers, to the disciples here and to us, that this ought to be our heart toward others. But He doesn't stop there. As the day wore on, the disciples expressed concern about the need for the multitude to eat. Verse 15, when it was evening, His disciples came to Him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
Jesus' response is clearly intended to test His disciples and to teach them a fundamental principle. Jesus here proves that He will provide for that which He orders. Was there anything inherently wrong with the disciples' solution? Verse 15. I mean, if I had been there, put yourself in their shoes and you see this crowd and you know that Jesus has already mentioned something about feeding them. And you've got this on your mind until you think, well, the only solution that we can come up with is send them away before the day is gone, before darkness falls. Send them to the villages so that they can find food and eat. And that seems a reasonable solution. And in fact, I don't see anything sinful with that solution. I've read some commentators who seem to really be hard upon the disciples for that solution, but I hear that solution and I say, well, that's reasonable. What's wrong with that? And Jesus doesn't necessarily say that there's anything wrong with it, but his response is really quite striking, isn't it? He says, no, he says, they don't need to go away. What do you mean they don't need to go away? And then he says, you give them something to eat. He doesn't say they don't need to go away. I'll take care of them. He says they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. He clearly commands these disciples to do what is impossible. And they understand it because in verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. And what you have in verses 16 and 18 is the heart of what Matthew is getting across. As I said before, each of the gospel writers give this account of the feeding of the 5,000 from a different perspective. And Matthew's perspective is found really in those two verses, 16 and 18. None of the other gospel writers say that. Only Matthew recounts this. And this is the heart of the issue. Jesus is sufficient. He says, bring them here to me. Five loaves and two little fish. You think, well, five loaves. I mean, I've seen loaves. How big were the loaves? Listen, these were, this was a boy's lunch. And these were like pita bread loaves. I love pita bread, especially when it's seasoned by the kava folks. You know, it's delicious. But they aren't very big. In fact, the last time I went, I, I actually wanted to say to the girl, could you put another one on there? But I was afraid they'd charge me too much for it. But, you know, they're not very big. Five of those and two fish. And they go, well, fish, well, it could be a 36-inch musky. No, these were little fish, a boy's lunch. Jesus says, bring it here to me. And he takes what is obviously inadequate And does what no mere man can do. And so in verse 19, Jesus says, um, 
He says he commands the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves. So he's commanding. And the other gospel writers say that they, he told his disciples, have them sit. And they sit and sat by fifties and by hundreds. So there was an orderly display. And some people make a, a big deal out of those things. And I say, go for it. But that's not what Matthew is emphasizing. So we're focusing in on Matthew here. And so Jesus, as they're probably seated in such a way that they can see Jesus as a, on a sloping Sloping hill, and and they're scattered in these in these coordinated bunches, and he's lifting up the the basket of of bread and and the fishes, and he looks up to heaven to his father, and he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples. He was doing exactly what every Jewish person would do when they blessed their meal. They looked to heaven. They looked up at mealtime. And they did exact. And think about this. Jesus is doing, they, they see what Jesus has. And they are not, they know he's blessing this as if it were going to be a meal for us. There's not enough there to feed us. But this is mealtime. And of course, you know, the rest of the story. The disciples distributed the meal. And what happens here is mind-blowing. It really is. 5,000 plus enjoying a meal that didn't just quench a hunger pang, but they all ate and were filled. And that's emphasized. And the leftovers exceeded the original meal. And by the way, these probably weren't leftovers that were picked up off of the ground, you know, that they spilled out. It was probably... It was probably from the multiplication that took place from the the setting where Jesus was actually blessing, breaking, and distributing. And there was gathered up twelve baskets full. Many have discounted the reality of this account, explaining it as mere symbolism. After all, how can you take five loaves and two fish and feed five thousand? 15,000, 20,000. How can you do that? That's impossible. No. So so some people have, because of that, some people have dreamed up other explanations as to what was going on here. That there was just symbolic. The boys, this is a big one, the boys' generosity affected the crowd to share what they brought. In other words, others brought lunches too. It wouldn't make any sense that no one except this boy brought a lunch. And so that being true, they say, what was really going on is the rest of the folks that didn't want to share their lunch were basically shamed or guilted into sharing their lunch by the fact that this little boy shared his lunch. And so they were encouraged toward generosity. And that's the point of what's going on here, is that we are supposed to be generous. We're encouraged to to share that which God has given to us. And that's it. That's the point. But brethren, no sensible reading of each gospel writer can justify such an interpretation as that. Every single gospel writer says the very same thing about the number, the amount, the, 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 the unbelievability of what happened here. No, this is about Jesus' identity. 
John makes that very clear. If this was just about teaching generosity, there wouldn't have been the response that came from that gathering. They wanted to make him king, you remember? And in fact, in verse 14 of John 6, it says, Then arose men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This set him apart as that prophet who was prophesied that would come. The one that Moses talked about. Now John emphasizes that Jesus is the bread of life that fully satisfies Brother, that's, that's, that's another message. That's not the focus of what Matthew is getting at. It is more the focus of what John is getting at. That Jesus is the bread of life. That there, there is no natural bread that will satisfy. There's nothing that men have made that will satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy, fully satisfy the needy, hungry soul. So that as John says, those who partake of Jesus said, those who partake of me, those who eat of me, those who drink of my blood will never hunger, will never thirst again. Jesus is the one who satisfies the needy soul. But Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is able to provide what He commissions us to do. He told His disciples to give them something to eat. Verse 16, you give them something to eat. Did they? They did. But they did it only after He blessed and broke. Verse 19. He blessed and and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Jesus provided for what He commanded. They were only able to give because He gave. Just like these disciples, we are utterly insufficient apart from Jesus' provision. And here we're not just talking about the provision for our souls, the redemption of Jesus Christ. That is true. And again, I say that's John's emphasis. But here we're talking about that which we are called upon as the servants of God, the followers of Christ to do the the ministry that we are to be engaged in, the life that he has called us to. We are dependent upon Christ. In another place, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And he's demonstrating here that nothing that he calls us to is impossible, though it may seem impossible. We only have we only have five loaves and two fish. What is this among such a multitude? And we only have what was it, two hundred denarii pence? We only have we don't have enough money, even if there was some more to go buy food, we don't have enough. Purchase for this crown. But Jesus said, in spite of that, with the full awareness of that, He says, you give them something to eat. You do it. Jesus does not only provide in the bare necessity either. He gives more than enough. 
Twelve disciples recovered twelve baskets full of leftovers. Why? Why that? Why why the leftovers? And why twelve baskets? You're going to see in the feeding of the 4,000 there weren't twelve and I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say about that when I get there, but because it's, you know the accounts are the accounts are very similar, and it comes up pretty quickly here in Matthew. But why twelve? And there are speculations that we might put forward, but I suppose at the very least, maybe we should at least say this, and I'll not say more than this, really, but it is to so that we would know that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Twelve baskets full. I mean, there's just this little boy has this basket of these this bread and these fish, and the disciples had no basket. But when all was said and done, every disciple had a basket. And had more in those baskets than what that boy had at the beginning. The provision of Christ. Our God shall supply all our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus abundantly. Abundantly. And we need to believe that about Him. But I want you to notice, and I'm going to be making a couple of applications to close here in a moment, but I want you to notice that Jesus uses means here to provide. Now, He could have done what He did without any means. He could have just made what He made. But He didn't make something out of nothing. He is the Creator after all. He could have done that, right? Without without John John has said, without Him, nothing was made that was made. And so all things that exist came from Him by the word of His power through Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God. He didn't make something out of nothing, but he made a lot out of a li- out of little. He says, verse eighteen, bring them here to me. Bring 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 what? Bring what here to me? Not the multitudes. Bring them. Bring that basket. Bring those. Bring those those that bread and that fish. Bring them here to me. Them that basket that insufficient. Boys' lunch. Bring it here to me. What was available was given to him. He blessed and break and gave. Are you making any connections in your own mind, in your own life? Jesus does not demand of us what we do not have. He blesses what you have to give. Jesus knew they didn't have sufficient. And so what he says is, bring what you have. And all they had was a boy's lunch. Bring them here to me. And then the disciples gave to the multitudes what was given to them. Verse 19, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. Jesus did not distribute it to the multitudes. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. They were instruments in the hand of the Redeemer. They were the means by which 
He met the needs of the multitudes to provide for the people that which came from Him. And beloved, that's exactly what we are. We are His instruments to do and give as we receive from Him. He must be the source of provision. He is glorified in our weakness. It's in our weakness when we see we don't have what is sufficient. That that we then turn to Him and we give to Him what we do have. And receive in return everything that's needed and more to accomplish what He intends to accomplish through us. Bring what you have to Jesus and trust Him to bless it to accomplish what He commands. Warren Wearsby said, and I, he was, he's one of those brothers that says things in these sentence sermon sort of ways. He said, the first step is not to measure our resources, but to determine God's will and trust Him to meet the need. Don't first measure your resources. If you do that, you will fall short of things that Christ intends for you to accomplish. That Christ intends for you to do. In every area of your life. Christian, do you ever feel that you simply can't do what you know King Jesus wants you to do? you ever feel that way? Do you think your skills... Or your talents, or your resources, or your knowledge, are not enough. I felt that in a fresh way this morning. I have actually felt as I've been standing up here. What do I do? And what do you do? Do you only have a boy's, what amounts to a boy's lunch to give? You see needs. And you want to participate in helping. You realize your own insignificance or your own insufficiency. And I'll guarantee you that the needs all around us. I don't care if you're talking about the needs in your own home. As a wife, as a husband, as a father, as a mother. Or in the workplace. Or in the world at large. Or in the church. It doesn't matter. The platform. If you are really evaluating, unless you're a proud, arrogant fool, really, you recognize that you do not have sufficient to accomplish what Christ intends and has commanded of you. So what do you do? You bring what you have to Jesus. You yield it all to Him. When you wake in the morning, that's what you do. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. I can't keep up with these children today. I barely kept up with them yesterday. I'm out of strength. But Lord, what I have, I'm yielding. I'm yielding to you right now. I'm yielding it to you. And see what he does. See what he does. I mean, how many times have, I mean, you know, you've heard, you know, take the gospel. Preach the gospel. Be a witness unto Christ. And you feel so inadequate to do so. I don't have the words. What am I going to say if, 
if they say something that I can't answer. And you know, you only have a, what amounts to a boy's lunch. You, you really don't have everything you need. And if you think you do, just put yourself out there in a public place somewhere and get attacked and find out. You are inadequate. Well, what do you do? Lord, here, here's all I have. I'm bringing it to you. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Bring it to me. And yielded completely to Him. He will bless and break and give so that what you have is more than enough. Church, haven't we seen this over the years? You say, well, not a, not to the same degree as the feeding of the 5,000. You realize sometimes Scripture gives us extreme examples in order to encourage us in the day-to-day? I mean, if, if He can do that, what can He do? In my little world, in my little difficulty, in my little problem. Or maybe yours is extreme. The church, as his ambassador in this world, we've been called to a task that has incredible resistance. And at times feels really impossible. Our resources are limited. Go into all the world? Are you kidding? We're just a church of what? You know, we've got 60 some odd members. And our bank account is not huge. What are we going to do? And sometimes you hear of needs that are put before you and you think, I would like to give, but I just don't have. I don't have any more to give. Well, what do you have? What do we have? Bring what we have to Jesus. And I am saying, actually, think that way. Pray that way. I'm giving what I'm giving. I'm Committing what I'm committing. I'm engaging what I'm engaging in. And Lord, I'm, I'm doing so bringing it to you and asking you to bless it and break it and give. Give to us that we might give and do as you will to accomplish what you purpose through us, through this little bitty church. Community Baptist Church. Don't measure our resources first. In other words, as Mr. Wearsby said, determine God's will and then trust Him to meet the need. He's not telling us to do anything for which He's not willing and able to provide necessary resources and more. We should be learning that from this account from Matthew. I believe we oftentimes limit the Holy One of Israel by Focusing upon our own limitations. When I say limit the Holy One of Israel, I'm quoting Scripture there. And I don't think that means that we stop Jehovah God from accomplishing His purpose. But in our own understanding, we limit Him and we stop short. It affects us. If we are assured that He wants something accomplished, we can bring what we have to Him And expect provision. He says bring them here to me. Go ahead and do that. We're his instruments. We're his ambassadors. And we're giving what he gives us. Paul speaking in the context of ministers of the new covenant said this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. 
to think any, to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. That's our attitude. Beloved, Jesus still moves with compassion. This same Jesus, the Jesus that died and rose again, ascended, is seating as king right now. He is the same one with the same compassion that we read about in our text. And that is a heart of pity and mercy toward needy people like you and me. And so in faith, go to Him and receive from Him all that He's ready to give. My heart's been heavy to pray that way for some of our brethren who who are suffering right now, who are hurting right now. There's some in this room, there's some who haven't been able to hang around for the service this morning. They're hurting right now, physically hurting. Some emotionally hurting. And as we pray, we're interceding in Jesus' name and, and to our Father in the name of this One who is interceding, who is compassionate, and our Father is compassionate. You see, God is compassionate. And we pray to Him. And we pray that He would show that compassion, that mercy, helping our brothers and sisters, and then giving us what we need, giving me what I need, giving you what you need to be that instrument to pass along the help that He intends to give to others through us. Channels. Right? Channels through which our blessed Redeemer is pleased to work and provide. He is able. He's able. Father, I 